your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Welcome back to another week of Study Buddies, the podcast where we bring you the latest in science and psychology. And sometimes more, and today would be one of our sometimes more episodes where we come at you with our passing notes. We are passing notes today. My name is Paula Sanchez Abreu, and I'm passing notes to... Taylor Collins. What's up? So, so last week we looked at a study titled... Higher social anxiety severity predicts better cognitive empathy performance in women, but not men. Basically, this study found data to, quote, suggest that women with greater social anxiety severity perform better on a behavioral measure of cognitive empathy than women with lower social anxiety. And then in addition, when accounting for general anxiety severity, it appears that social anxiety severity may not relate to effective empathy in women or men. And so if you're wondering what all of those words mean, you can find out in our study last week. Um, go check out the episode so you can get a real eye-opening, brain-opening look into what we're going to be talking about today. We're just trying to open your brains, man. Open your brains. Last week, we were able to reach out to Samantha Berg, who was one of the authors of this study, and she was able to answer a couple questions for us. So here's a little introduction and a little about Samantha. Hello, my name is Samantha Berg. I graduated from the University of Central Florida in May 2020 with my Bachelor of Science degree in psychology. I became interested in researching empathy and anxiety because I wanted to better understand how anxiety presents itself and what cognitive changes may occur as a result. Currently, I'm working as a part-time neuropsychology technician, as well as a research fellow with the Army Research Laboratory, and I'm in the process of applying to clinical psychology doctoral programs. We asked her what the most salient points of the study were, and she actually gave us a little summary which we thought would be perfect to include in our Passing Notes app. The primary aim of the present study was to examine how social anxiety severity relates to effective and cognitive empathy. A secondary aim was to determine whether such relationships are specific to social rather than general anxiety, and whether the relationship differed between men and women. Our results suggest that women with higher levels of social anxiety may be more accurate in identifying emotions from facial expressions than are less socially anxious women. We examined 701 participants who completed self-report measures of social anxiety, depression, and empathy. They also completed their reading the mind and the eyes test, which is an objective assessment of the ability to infer someone else's state of mind by looking only at their eyes in surrounding areas. We found that performance on the reading of the mind and the eyes test was associated with social anxiety severity in women, but not men. Samantha Berg was also able to give us a little insight into the limitations of this article. One major limitation is that the study was completed with an undergraduate non-clinical sample. Moving forward, future research should ascertain if the results of the study generalize to individuals with social anxiety disorder, as well as assess participants across ages and demographics. I think it's really important to note, like, we really liked breaking down this study. I think it was really cool to really understand how they're measuring empathy mm -hmm. and how they're measuring anxiety. I think it's always, like, fascinating to find out, like, what the scales these researchers are actually yeah. using, like, what's behind the data. But it, it does turn out that when you look at 
this data in conjunction with all mm-hmm. the other data in the literature, things are still kind of inconclusive. Like the results that we just reported and talked about and talked about in last week's episode do suggest certain things about gender, uh, mm-hmm. social anxiety and empathy. But really, the data is still kind of inconclusive, and there's a lot more to start to understand there. Yeah, so definitely paying attention to the fact that this data is suggesting certain things, but a suggestion is never a conclusion. Exactly. Um, And that'll be important, too, taking that into today's Passing Notes episode. Like, just a slight reminder that the things that we're going to be talking about, you know, we're speculating, we're just chatting, mostly feelings, mostly thoughts. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Right. Yeah, a lot of our, our passing notes is really us kind of like just wondering what things might yeah. means, mean. And I think the word speculation is really a, a good word because we don't know for a fact, but we're trying to think about what what the relationships might be or the causes might be, but we don't know anything. Yeah, it's the, it's the magic in the wonder of science that we do in these passing yeah. notes episode. And it's some of my favorite stuff. Absolutely. And so with that, I think it might be a great time to move on into our segment called the Data Data. Um, And this is a segment where we look at how the data could influence our day-to-day on a personal level. All right, Taylor, tell me. How does the data maybe affect your day-to-day? Tell me, tell me. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, what really got me in the study was actually something that they had mentioned kind of in the literature literature review in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But that was how the author suggested that like, maybe sometimes being too empathetic in combination with social anxiety can be a recipe for potential personal distress. <laughs> um, I find that as a therapist, yeah. I can like be bizarrely attuned to other people's emotions sometimes yeah. as I've had a lot of practice picking up on like these nuanced details in body language or like little slights in like tone or things mm. like that. Um, just like I'm sure like poker players and actors might do as yeah. well. Sounds familiar to me, frankly. Yeah. So I love being on the same level of a poker player, though. Oh, that was that'd be like my dream. I always have like a little bit of a fascination with poker playing. <laughs> Maybe um, one day. And I like but I think like oftentimes like times like that skill of like really being attuned to like little different subtle differences in mm-hmm. people's tone or something that might be like a threat or an indicator of something can be like can really serve you. Right. But it sounds like compounding that with like insecurity or times when I might be like socially anxious like oh man can I analyze a micro moment of a potential sense of like dislike or rejection from another person like I don't know about you but that's something like I notice where I can just be like super sensitive to something if it's like a a high stake situation or maybe a relationship where I a relationship or situation where I do feel more socially anxious about it yeah it's interesting to note because at first when you were saying that I was like oh I don't I don't identify with having social anxiety like I just I love being around people most of the time I like rarely feel like I get socially anxious um there's often like there's a lot of times where I don't want to go see certain people but I wouldn't say like I'm anxious about it unless obviously we're like going to talk about a serious thing um which doesn't happen very often Um, Yeah, can we talk? talk? Yeah, yeah. But I I don't have a lot of those, thank goodness. And I also don't have a lot of, like, (laughs) events that I'm going to, especially now. But I don't have a a lot of events that I'm going to where um, I'm 
like, oh, I feel anxious about this event or being around this many people. But then I thought about auditions. And this is a different kind of social anxiety, right? Because you are, it is a social interaction, right? You're in a room with other people. You have to be social in some regard. Right. I almost am thinking like they talk about like social anxiety, which might be like all social situations or general, which is like overall. But I wonder about like, wonder about like situational anxiety. Right. Like certain important moments. And an audition sounds like one of yeah, those. Yeah. And there's a, such a social aspect to auditioning. Like you're supposed to go into the room and like, the one of the most important things to do when you go into a room is to literally like, just like be a person and like be an exciting person to be around um and show your personality and like suddenly when you're like oh like i have to go somewhere and show my personality you're like i lost all my personality i don't have a personality where did it go this Who morning am yeah. i that's like really what happens um and i do think it is a form of social anxiety anxiety right like i have to present myself socially and i don't know what that is and then on top of that like you walk into a room and like sometimes the like auditioners having a bad day the casting director has seen a million people and you're the last one that they're seeing and it can make you feel like oh no like I'm doing a bad job when really they're just like tired and ready to get out of there and it's just a it's it's really easy to like pick up on those little things that may not be about you or they may be about something larger that you can't control and like take it on and be like I you leave and you're like what was that what was that what was that (laughs) never stops right so it's like fascinating to think about both of us being like having these situations and I wonder like again Paula and I I don't think either of us would describe us as like socially anxious people particularly like it's not that like interactions with people make me uncomfortable I'm definitely I would say an anxious person not like generally anxious, but I have just things that I get very anxious yeah. about. I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense at all. I should be more like, I feel like able to clearly articulate articulate this as like a therapist. Well, but it's like when something is uh, important or high stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little perfectionism you know, that comes in. Definitely. Um, and so I wonder if like our experiences as women change, like, might may differ or the way that we process those things as women might be different than if we were a man yeah I do wonder that I do wonder that as well I don't I don't know too many men that like experience social anxiety um this also oh I well I'm a therapist so maybe my perspective is a little bit different I do know quite a few (laughs) well I was gonna say like I also feel like this isn't something that like terribly many men that I interact with like the men in my life would talk to me about um Mm. so and also I feel like sometimes I only know like when my close friends have social anxiety like and a lot of my close friends are women because like because I don't present to have any social anxiety a lot of the times people are just like oh we don't that she would never get it and a lot of the times it's kind of true like I just like I can imagine but like I don't really feel My cognitive empathy is is there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I do wonder if men do experience social anxiety differently. I mean, it would be interesting to find out. And with that being said, uh, we did also reach out to the study author to hear if she had any um, important data, data information or perspectives to share. And here's what she had to say. I feel that conducting this research, and specifically learning about the reading the mind and the eyes test, has increased my emotional awareness in how I present myself to others. 
I would say I'm now more cognizant of the emotions presented through my eyes in my daily interactions. That's super, super fascinating to think about. Yeah, I never I never thought about it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, this actually brings me kind of right into macaroni and cheese. And macaroni and cheese, as you may know, is the segment where we connect the study suggestions to the bigger picture. And I do think that the bigger picture in this study is gender, but that's always the bigger picture for me. I just, (laughs) I'm, because I, obviously gender is a construct. And so like the way that we are raised, it just makes me wonder, like, how can we instill greater amounts of like empathy in men and again not saying that like men don't have empathy it's just like what this study is talking about does lead to like women have a little bit more empathy than men do in certain regards um and it just does make me curious is like how do how do we continue to build that empathy right i think it's a male population i think it's a fascinating thing to think about because and again i'm speculating what we talked about a little bit before there's, I, I think a lot of empathy is taught and practiced. Like it's a skill that's yeah. worked towards. Um, some people I think may be more or less likely to be like inclined towards it. Mm. But I do think it has to do a lot with like how you raise someone or the, the practices or experiences that you have. But I I do wonder how much we can like influence empathy with that versus how much of empathy is like just like totally biological like I you know like it it would be cool to like look at like twin studies and not that twins have the exact same like raising like same way of being raised and even just the fact that they might be different genders would mean they'd be raised differently right but I think it would be like really interesting to see how much of it is really biological like our our hormones and our bodies and our like those things really, yeah. What's responsible for that, or is it more so how we're raised and what we're taught that's that's changing our empathy? Yeah, it's interesting as you say that. It makes me think of like that, you know, the evolutionary evolutionarily, like men have fought in wars and women have like made homes and collected berries. Yeah, and like. That, Which I still love berries, so I think that makes sense. I to me. love berries. I love picking food off of, of branches. It's the best. I get thing very I happy when I get to pull a raspberry off of yeah anything. No, I totally. And by agree. off of anything, I mean like the supermarket counter because yeah, you know. I prefer. I frankly prefer that to war at, at many all times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But because <laughs> men have had to fight so many wars, I do like and over time, like their ability to compartmentalize like events is. Um, this is what I remember once from reading a book that their ability to compartmentalize is just more refined than um, women's ability to compartmentalize because men have had to practice it a lot more in having to do very violent things. Um, and I wonder if that plays a role in empathy, like in and and having to separate mentally. That's fascinating because that's one. That's one idea of, like, are men more inclined to separate due to, like, needing to protect or needing to kind of make harder decisions or things like that. Yeah. Um, also, you know, my brain goes into the rec- direction of, like, women are more likely to be the primary child care 
providers. They're the ones who are responsible for raising an infant. So I'm thinking like, again, if we go back to caveman times, which we talk a lot about when we think about, you know, biology versus being raised, like would as a woman having the ability to better recognize your child or having to be in tune that way. Yeah, like would that would that having a greater sense of empathy help you be a better caregiver or help you, you know, recognize subtle differences that would keep your your child safe or protected? I wonder if, you know, so we've kind of evolved out of those times, right? We're like we're moving past the archaic the archaic notion of like women take care of babies and men go fight wars. And so I wonder if we could just like switch like what we do, like men have to be stay at home dads, like women birth it, but then like the men have to stay at home and they have to I don't take like this kid. at all. And then the woman like has to go to work and then like <laughs> then we'll just like we'll just even it out. Like we'll balance it out. I'm saying this mainly because I don't want to be a stay at home mother. I really would like my partner to be a stay at home dad. That's very sweet. I like the sentiment of it. I don't want to switch into I just want to make a, a scientific excuse. Uh, that sounds like um. It just sounds like a other world experiment where like things are equally terrible, just reverse terrible. Like where women are kept from their babies and forced no, into a like. No, work we're not hard. kept. We can come home at night. My goodness. <laughs> After we have to work a full day, and men are like, "Wait, but I want to feel a sense of accomplishment." And we're like, "No, sit down." We're like, "You can toilet. feel accomplished. You can raise this child and cook me dinner." <laughs> that sounds like you had a really accomplished day. Where's my sandwich? Yeah, no, um. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. But, um, Taylor, how good would it feel to walk into a house and be like, can I have a sandwich, please? I just think I need a butler. Like, <laughs> I really need the entirety of gender systems to be uprooted. Like, I'll just, I'll go to Subway. Like, there's other ways to get this. I really love the idea of you busting the door open to Subway and being like, can I get a sandwich, please? <laughs> it's It's not something I haven't done before, let's be honest. <laughs> Oh man, oh man. All that being set aside, like I I I I don't um I don't believe that we should be told to stay at home because of any gender, whether it be man, woman, right. non-binary, otherwise. Th- that made me think of another like thought I had for macaroni and cheese mm-hmm. when you were thinking of like the workforce. Yeah. And I was wondering like so this study was showing that social anxiety was related to greater like perspective taking ability in women Mm -hmm. like that was the suggestion so I'm wondering like there might be times in our careers and our lives where having greater cognitive empathy could help us like being a therapist poker player actor things like that like the ability to understand other people yeah maybe even like a salesman yeah so I'm wondering would women with social anxiety be more equipped for certain jobs that could utilize these skills um, like, is there a way that the socially anxious women can channel their heightened emotional sensitivity into like a superpower to make them really good at their jobs? Yeah, that's super interesting to think about. Like, what positions in the world would be really, really, would really benefit from that superpower? It's also kind of a conundrum, too, because I think most of the times you would use that like superpower of like understanding a nuanced difference in a facial expression would probably be while interacting with another person, which is what socially anxious people don't want to do, but also where it would be most beneficial to be utilized. Maybe they can watch videos. 
that's what I was thinking. Like, so maybe being like a uh, a security yeah. facial analyst woman. I just made up a position. That's not you a thing. did. I don't. You did go hire somebody. <laughs> um, well, maybe maybe you could work for a research lab in like distinguishing yeah. facial recognition or like a police sta- station. Yeah. I'm making things up. Still. No, yeah. yeah, like um, detective work, foren- forensic work would be really interesting. Um, sitting on a jury would be really interesting. Um, Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Although that's complicated in many different ways, but like that would be a very fascinating. Um, Maybe people. This is like, this is making me think of our other study that we had done because I wonder if like the ability to perceive facial expressions in like defendants and what's the other one that's not a defendant? A prosecutor. The prosecutor, is it? But the prosecutor's the one that like is the lawyer, right? <laughs> Well, there's, isn't, well, you can have a, a defense lawyer as well. Yeah, so isn't there a – there's a defendant and a – Well, there's another like – vi- a victim or a survivor? <laughs> well, not everything is like a physical uh, – like like if, you're, if your landlord sues you – Like so-and-so vi- versus the state? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Paula and I's law career is not going very far. No. Just ignore all of this. But oh essentially – if they were able to like perceive like facial expressions for different sides of the court case, yeah. I wonder if that would, if that so being socially anxious would have um, implications and whether they should look at that in jurors. Yeah, that's super super interesting. I'm mainly right now. I'm just fixated on the fact that we couldn't figure out what this is, and I'm going to be thinking about it for the next couple of days. Well, I, my brain wants to say like protagonist, which is a <laughs> literature term and not at all correct. That's so beautiful. So, it speaks so much to, like, you know, where our hearts lie. I know. Defendant and, like, it's not assailant. And storyteller. The defendant. <laughs> I don't think we're going to figure it out today. Um, but I've watched so much Judge Judy, too. Like, it doesn't make gotta sense watch this more. term cannot. Gotta watch more Judge Judy. That's what it sounds like. Regardless of this tangent. Do you have any other thoughts for macaroni and cheese? I did have one more. Mm-hmm. They said that, so social anxiety in women could raise... Cognitive empathy could might it's we're it's being suggested, mm-hmm. and that higher general anxiety was related to like lower cognitive empathy in both men and women, which is really interesting. So it seems like cognitive empathy is like more so being affected than affective empathy, yeah, by anxiety. But I wonder if there's like an optimal level of social anxiety. That might, like, be best on performance tasks. So maybe if you're, like, too socially anxious, as we were saying before, it could, like, not serve you because you're putting yourself under, like, unnecessary emotional, personal distress. You're, like, freaking out about things. Like, that's never fun. Um, But probably having no social anxiety would, like, lead to lower empathy, which could lead to other issues, like interpersonal issues or... Like, like, um, like, what's his face from the office? Dwight? Yeah. Michael? Exactly. Pretty much the entire cast? Yeah, yeah. Dwight and yeah. Michael specifically having, like, very little social anxiety and therefore, well, you know. <laughs> right. So it's like, I, like, I wonder if, like, having... What the optimal, like, what the optimal level would be. Yeah. Because we know that not having empathy can harm you and having, yeah. like, too high empathy, like, there's, I don't know, there's different, the study showed that there's different um, kind of maybe results in having empathy and that 
social anxiety is seeming to impact that, but like maybe there's like a sweet spot where you're not like not socially anxious at all, but you're not too socially anxious, and that's like yeah, the where, ideal where the social level. anxiety is advantageous rather than hurtful. Right. I just wonder if there's a nice, you know, spot where you should yeah social anxiety try to live sit. in. Yeah, that's interesting. I would task us with going out into the world and finding that sweet spot of social anxiety for ourselves. I think that trying to find the sweet spot of where my own social anxiety would be Mm -hmm. would raise my general anxiety, (laughs) uh, which would not be helpful. Fair point. Fair point. Um, Okay. You don't do that. I'm going to do that because that sounds like a fun task. Good luck. That's, yeah. Especially in the times of COVID, it'll be really fun to examine your social anxiety. Yeah. Just like bust into parks and be like, hi guys. Hi. What's up? Hi. How you doing? Yeah, I didn't even think about that, too. Like, thinking about macaroni and cheese, like, social anxiety... Is going to go through the roof after this goes back? Like, that's what I... Like, I mean, maybe. Maybe it'll go down because we're all going to be like, I missed everyone. I don't care. And I'm so used to not wearing makeup now, so I don't give a crap. Or maybe we'll be like, I don't remember how to be near a human. And now I'm terrified of everything I said or did. Yeah, yeah. I do remember when um, we had to interview, like, roommates for our house back like when we were coming out of like the stress stressful quarantine like super tight quarantine me and my roommates literally had to take a shot before we talked to anybody because we were like we literally don't know how to talk to other people that we don't see every day <laughs> I'm used to only my bubble and my coworkers. yeah like- so that's a really good question it'll be really interesting to see um like how you know at least we can observe observe ourselves and how we you know, and... it's funny because I've actually, I feel like, it, I think it's, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I small almost talk. feel that same thing that, uh, I feel like I've forgotten how to small talk. Yeah. Like I, most of the conversations I have are with like people I'm really familiar with at this point in time. So like, yeah. I do not know how to like. There's no like, the weather's real nice out today. Yeah, like maybe in a Zoom meeting to introduce it, but like not in an actual sense where like if I was sitting next to someone at a cafe, like I could maintain a small talk conversation because I only know how to talk about like intimate details of my life now or like nothing at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how we attune to others after this, Um, especially in groups and people we haven't seen in, in literally a year or more. Right. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how COVID affects social anxiety and probably general anxiety, I'm sure, is going to be our uh, own, raised. Our own global experiment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Write so us. We'll... Tell us, you know, tell us like how your experience is going if you're like leaving a quarantine bubble or like going back to work. We want to hear it. Um, I also think it now would be a good time to check in with our author who shared her macaroni and cheese input. And here's what they had to say. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness experienced in the United States. Examining how anxious people differ in their experience of the world paves the way for more effective treatment interventions. Research such as ours has the potential to help us understand how social anxiety develops and is maintained and to make related refinements in clinical assessment and treatment. Thank you so much, Samantha, for taking the time to respond to our questions, and we look forward to seeing the future research. We talked about a lot. Um, We have set our own personal post-COVID experiment up 
about social nope. anxiety and Paula has Paula has said that experiment. I'm, up. Going I'm just gonna to go become a statistical anal- analyst. I know how to say the career, and I'm gonna figure it out. And she's gonna analyze herself and her own behavior. Yep. Which sample is, size which is of not one. at all. Yeah, that's it's gonna be really representative of everyone and not at all skewed. <laughs> We're excited. Very significant differences and significant results we will find. So, thank you so much for joining us for another week of Study Buddies. Please, if you haven't already, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, share, like us on Instagram, do the whole dang thing. Yeah, click all the buttons, you know. Yeah. Like I, sometimes I feel like I go into autopilot when we talk about this. Like, I feel like the YouTubers that like, say, like, click the link in the subscribe and they pointing, point their arrows. Pointing, yeah. 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 Um, it does help us, you know, reach new audiences. And all we want to do is um, bring research to the world in a fun, fun way. And the authors yeah. have been really excited about the work that we've been doing and the work that they've been doing. So it's really nice to be able to share it with you all. Thank yeah. you again. And we will see you next week for another episode of Study Buddies. Have a lovely week. Bye, everyone. Study Buddies was created by Paula Sanchez Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our graphic design was done by Monica Ray Summers Gonzalez, and our intro song was composed by singer songwriter Caught In Between. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>